Welcome to the April 21st, 2022 episode of Blood Podcast, your source for innovative ideas and cutting-edge information. Our topics are based on articles published in Blood, a journal of the American Society of Hematology. In today's podcast, we'll cover a retrospective study on the timing of high-dose methotrexate CNS prophylaxis in diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, results of which suggest end-of-treatment delivery might be preferred to earlier administration. The second research article describes how biallelic Apollo variants lead to an inherited bone marrow failure syndrome that resembles dyskeratosis congenita, albeit with normal telomere length. We'll conclude with research revealing how a rare form of congenital anemia is caused by novel missense mutations in GATA1. Let's start with the article entitled Timing of High-Dose Methotrexate CNS Prophylaxis in DLBCL, a Multicenter International Analysis of 1,384 Patients by Matthew Wilson of the Beetson West of Scotland Cancer Center in Glasgow, Scotland, and international colleagues. In this study, Wilson and co-authors found that high-dose methotrexate delivered at the end of treatment caused fewer delays in RCHOP therapy as compared to intercalated delivery, with no increased risk of CNS relapse. However, overall CNS relapse rates remained similar to historical controls receiving limited CNS prophylaxis. Diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, or DLBCL, is curable with RCHOP in 60 to 70% of cases. However, outcomes are poor for the 2 to 5% of patients who experience secondary progression of DLBCL in the central nervous system. Unfortunately, there is no consensus on how to reduce risk of CNS relapse. High-dose methotrexate has been widely adopted based on supporting evidence from studies in primary CNS lymphoma. Some advocate delivering high-dose methotrexate in an intercalated fashion, meaning between cycles of RCHOP or RCHOP-like therapy, versus at the end of treatment. Retrospective studies provided support for use of high-dose methotrexate, either intercalated or at the end of treatment, in patients with DLBCL at high risk of relapse. However, a recent retrospective study including more than 2,300 DLBCL patients at high risk of CNS relapse showed that there was no apparent benefit of high-dose methotrexate, casting doubt on the efficacy of this intervention. There is also controversy over the selection of patients for CNS prophylaxis based on high-risk variables and scoring systems. In patients with a CNS International Prognostic Index, or IPI, of 4 to 6, Relapse risk is about 10%. However, the CNS IPI has suboptimal specificity, meaning that many patients selected based on higher scores would be subjected to unnecessary prophylaxis. Wilson and colleagues have previously addressed the issue of intercalated versus end of treatment prophylaxis. Their retrospective, multi center analysis, published in 2020 in Blood Advances, included 334 patients with DLBCL treated with either intercalated or end of treatment high dose methotrexate. They saw no differences between intercalated or end of treatment prophylaxis in terms of CNS relapse rate or survival. However, the event rate was low, making it difficult to draw definitive conclusions. In the present multi center international analysis, Wilson and colleagues analyzed 1,384 patients diagnosed with DLBCL at 47 centers in Europe, Australia, and North America. 
CNS prophylaxis was given in an intercalated fashion in 749 patients and at the end of treatment in 635 individuals. Based on CNS IPI scores, the overall CNS relapse risk for the whole patient population was 7%. The median number of high-dose methotrexate cycles delivered in each group was 2. The key finding is that there was no difference in three-year CNS relapse rates between the two approaches. The three-year relapse rates were 5.7% and 5.8%, respectively, for the intercalated and end-of-treatment groups. Overall, the three-year CNS relapse rate was 9.1% for patients with CNS IPI scores of 4 to 6, with no evidence of a difference in relapse rate between the two prophylaxis strategies. Delays in RCHOP were more common with the intercalated approach compared to end-of-treatment prophylaxis, with treatment delays of 7 days or more significantly increased in the former group. Overall, 19.6% of intercalated high-dose methotrexate treatments delayed RCHOP treatment, with a median delay of 8 days. Further analysis showed that older patients had an increased risk of delay when intercalated high-dose methotrexate was given after day 10 in the RCHOP cycle. In his accompanying commentary, Craig Portell of the University of Virginia emphasized the uncertainty regarding CNS prophylaxis during frontline treatment of DLBCL. Based on the present study by Wilson and colleagues, Portell said that high-dose methotrexate, if used, should be given at the end of treatment for at least two cycles and probably should be reserved for fit patients. Furthermore, if CNS prophylaxis delays or otherwise interferes with curative intent chemoimmunotherapy, it should be abandoned. Portell wrote. Wilson and co-authors state that the CNS relapse rate was relatively high despite CNS prophylaxis, raising the broader concern about the efficacy of high-dose methotrexate in this setting. They found that the three-year CNS relapse rate of 5.7% was only marginally lower than the predicted risk of 7% based on the CNS IPI scores in this cohort. Moreover, the 9.1% rate in the high CNS IPI patients was almost identical compared to historical controls receiving minimal prophylaxis. While the current study does not rule out a potential benefit in a small subset of very high-risk patients, it does provide support for end-of-therapy administration among patients in whom high-dose methotrexate is being considered. However, investigators said novel prophylaxis regimens and more sophisticated techniques to identify high-risk patients may be research areas where further attention should be focused. The next article is entitled, Inherited Human 1 Apollo Deficiency Causes Severe Bone Marrow Failure and Developmental Defects, by Leticia Carmasson of the University of Paris, Imagine Institute in Paris, France, and colleagues. In this research article, Carmasson describes biallelic Apollo variants that lead to a severe bone marrow failure syndrome with features of dyskeratosis congenita, but with normal telomere length. Their research demonstrates that Apollo is a caretaker of the genome, essential to the orderly development of the human immunohematological system. Dyskeratosis congenita is a rare inherited bone marrow failure syndrome characterized by progressive marrow failure, premature aging, and an increased predisposition to cancer. Its severe variant, Hyerall-Hirdarsen syndrome, is linked to early onset of bone marrow failure, intrauterine growth restriction, cerebellar hypoplasia, and immunodeficiency. These are both termed telomere biology disorders since they are caused by genetic aberrations that affect telomere length or integrity. Although sometimes referred to as short telomere syndromes, 
it has been observed that some patients have modest reductions in telomere length, while mutations in the telomere-associated genes, POT1 and CTC1, are associated, respectively, with increased and ambiguous telomere length. Some studies have identified Apollo, the DNA repair factor, as a critical player in telomere maintenance. Apollo is a DNA exonuclease encoded by the DNA crosslink repair 1B gene, or DCLRE1B. It is involved in repair of mitomycin C-induced DNA intrastrand crosslinks and DNA double-strand breaks. However, Apollo also acts as a telomere protector. It serves as a shelter and accessory protein and contributes to the development and maintenance of telomeric overhangs, which are vital for telomere end protection and extension. More than 10 years ago, investigators reported the identification of a unique Apollo splice variant in fibroblasts in a patient with Hoyerol-Hurdarsen syndrome. In contrast to what would be expected, accelerated telomere length shortening was not seen in primary cells. Now, some of those same investigators report on the identification of biallelic variants in Apollo among three children, all with clinical features suggestive of dyskeratosis congenita, Hoyerol-Hurdarsen syndrome, yet all with normal telomere length. The children from unrelated families included a 7-year-old Caucasian boy, an 11-year-old Portuguese girl, and a 6-year-old Argentinian boy. Features among these patients included developmental defects, early-onset bone marrow failure, immunodeficiency, particularly B and NK cell lymphopenia, and premature aging. In telomere restriction fragment analysis, none of the three patients had significant telomere length defects in blood samples. However, a high-sensitivity assay detected a significant increase in the frequency of very short telomeres in one patient. Taken together, these assay results suggested a telomere instability that does not lead to a global reduction in telomere length. Gene sequencing revealed that the biallelic Apollo variants comprised homozygous or compound heterozygous missense mutations affecting the highly conserved residue L142, located in the catalytic domain of the protein. This did not impact Apollo expression or stability, but partially impaired its ability to interact with the TRF2 component of the shelter-in complex. Further investigations show that the patient's Apollo-deficient cells exhibited spontaneous chromosome instability and impaired DNA repair. A CRISPR-Cas9 genome editing approach was used to correct the homozygous L142 variant. Those corrected cells behaved similarly to wild-type cells, providing evidence of a link between impairment of DNA repair and presence of biallelic Apollo variants. The phenotype of primary fibroblasts was also analyzed. Investigators noted signs of telomere fragility. However, this was not associated with reduced telomere length. Congruent with results from patient blood cells, telomere restriction fragment analysis of the fibroblasts did not indicate abnormal telomere length. Divergent results were noted for Apollo knockout cell lines that the investigators developed using CRISPR-Cas9. In contrast to patient cells, these Apollo knockout cells exhibited an increase in telomere dysfunction-induced foci. That suggests that the biallelic Apollo variants detected in these three patients are hypomorphic rather than complete loss of function mutants. In his accompanying commentary, Marcin Wlodarski of St. Jude Children's Research Hospital in Memphis said this recent work establishes Apollo deficiency as a new bone marrow failure telomeropathy syndrome with textbook features of severe dyskeratosis congenita despite normal telomere length. Lodarsky said Apollo provides another puzzle piece in the elucidation of classification of telomere biology disorders. 
The finding of telomere dysfunction in Apollo knockout cells, but not in patient cells, leaves room for exciting future discoveries regarding the role of Apollo in telomere biology, according to Lodarsky. Although the discrepant results could indicate the patient's mutations are hypomorphic, it could also indicate that telomere loss in this scenario may be sudden and context or tissue dependent. Further work is needed to unravel these potential mechanisms of Apollo deficiency and the long-term clinical consequences of carrying these rare mutations. That concludes our summary of this article, which is available for CME credit. CME questions for this article are available on the Blood website at cme.bloodjournal.org. The last article, titled, A Congenital Anemia Reveals Distinct Targeting Mechanisms for Master Transcription Factor GATA1, is from Life Ludwig and Caleb Leroux of Harvard Medical School and international colleagues. In this research article, the authors characterize a novel form of hemolytic anemia associated with missense mutations in GATA1. The anemia is marked by selective alteration of target gene transcription due to disruption of chromatin occupancy of GATA1 mutants. Master transcription factors such as GATA1 play an essential role in orchestrating cell lineage commitment and differentiation. GATA1, one of the first master regulators of hematopoiesis to be identified, is key for production of red blood cells, platelets, mast cells, basophils, and eosinophils. A range of blood disorders have been linked to mutations in the GATA1 gene. Germline mutations in this X-linked gene are associated with diamond black fan anemia while somatic mutations are associated with transient myeloproliferative disorder of Down syndrome. The consequence of these mutations is impaired hematopoietic differentiation and disruption of hematopoiesis. Although GATA1 has been extensively studied, there is still little known about the mechanisms that enable precise genomic targeting of GATA1 in different stages of hematopoiesis. The current work concerns a rare form of X-linked inherited hemolytic anemia previously identified in several families. This anemia is characterized by a short red blood cell lifespan, altered red blood cell morphology, increased production of reticulocytes, and bone marrow erythroid hyperplasia. In addition, all affected patients exhibit high levels of erythrocyte adenosine deaminase. Previous workups for usual causes of hemolysis, including RBC membrane or enzyme disorders, yielded no clues in these patients. That prompted investigators to undertake genomic sequencing. And in this edition of Blood, investigators report that this anemia is attributable to previously unreported missense mutations in the C-terminus of GATA1 that convert arginine at position 307 to cysteine or histidine. In vitro evaluation of R307 mutant bone marrow mononuclear cells revealed significantly impaired erythropoiesis, including reduced cell proliferation, impaired differentiation, and altered morphology relative to healthy cells. Erythropoiesis was moderately improved through overexpression of R307 mutants via lentiviral transduction of primary patient cells. Through expression profiling of R307 transduced cells, investigators demonstrated incomplete repression of early hematopoietic progenitor genes, including GATA2, KIT, and RONGS1, and impaired activation of genes involved in terminal erythroid maturation. In other experiments, investigators demonstrated selectively altered transcriptional activity of the R307 mutants at GATA1 target genes in human and mouse cells. 
Further investigation revealed that the GATA1R307 mutants were situated in an intrinsically disordered region, or IDR. The authors noted that IDRs are thought to have essential functions in transcriptional regulation. These mutations perturb GATA1 transcriptional activity by partially impairing nuclear localization and selectively altering precise chromatin occupancy by GATA1. In turn, this leads to impairment of chromatin structure and transcriptional regulation at erythroid target genes. This includes key red blood cell membrane proteins, hemoglobin genes, heme biosynthetic enzymes, as well as other transcriptional regulators of terminal erythropoiesis. Based on these findings, investigators say they have identified a novel role for this C-terminal region of GATA1 to enable precise DNA binding. When that role is disrupted, terminal erythropoiesis fails, leading to a hemolytic phenotype. In their accompanying commentary, John Struboulis of King's College London and Antonella Ronchi of the University of Milano Bicocca in Italy discuss how this work enhances our understanding of GATA1 function and adds to the range of erythroid disorders linked to mutations in this gene. In addition, the work highlights how disruption in IDR-mediated functions of transcription factors may result in disease states. You have been listening to The Blood Podcast. For a list of additional authors, as well as more detailed articles and commentaries on which this podcast is based, please go to bloodjournal.org. Be sure to join us next week for another episode. Thank you for listening.